spread the word. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney, make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusions apply. See store or jcp.com for details. Hey guys, this is Russ, and this is The Overlook. Today we're going to look into the disappearance of Heriberto Herrera. Heriberto Herrera is a 51-year-old Hispanic male missing from Las Vegas, Nevada since May 14, 2010. Heriberto was born in Puerto Rico in 1970. He moved to the United States mainland in 1975, and he lived pretty much most of his life in Las Vegas. Heriberto was working as a cab driver when he took a leave of absence to help care for his two twin sons who were born prematurely. On April 19, 2010, his wife, Johanna Blake, reports he had a severe psychotic episode and had to be admitted to a treatment center for his mental health. He was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, schizoaffective disorder, and depression with psychotic features. Now, this is what I'm finding on a lot of articles. However, I do want to say that this may be wrong as two of these disorders could be a rule out for the other. So I'm not really sure why it's said that way, but that's what I'm finding on the article. So that's what I'm sticking with. Now, after 10 days in the treatment center, Heriberto was discharged and recommended to start outpatient treatment. Up until this point in his life, it's not suspected that he had any mental health complications. On the day of his disappearance, Heriberto drove to his sister's work at the Clark County School District Police Department, but was unable to see her. He was later seen on surveillance video at the police station in which he was wearing a cast on his left arm. They later talked on the phone and he told his sister that his wife had left him and she took the children as he slept. He had filed a missing persons report on them. Now, the police quickly found his wife and his children, and they reported to be fine. In fact, his wife said she fled the home out of fear. Now, she returned home that day with a police escort around 3 p.m. to retrieve her belongings. This is the last known sighting of Heriberto. He is described by family as loving and a huge family-oriented person who loved his wife, his kids, and his siblings. Heriberto's wife states she left with the kids due to increasing erratic behaviors. She reports he was acting aggressive and she was scared for their safety, as again, Heriberto was the children's primary caregiver at the time. After his wife retrieved her belongings, it stated that Heriberto called her later that evening to tell her that he loved her and he loved their sons. Now, before Heriberto's hospitalization, it is reported that he had actually been suffering for depression for a while. It is unknown when or how this depression came about. Heriberto has stopped talking to his sisters before he disappeared, and this is something that was really uncharacteristic for him. His sisters report they actually had not heard from him since April 9th, until the day he disappeared where one sister heard from him as he called her to let her know that his wife had left him. All reports indicate that none of his family had known Heriberto, who they refer to as Nami to have any mental health problems. Now it appears before his disappearance, his sister had already had some concerns about him. He was unusually distant. 
and their family had always been really close. Family had always been a big priority to Nani. In an 8 News Now article, his sister Rita is quoted saying, What concerns me is my brother. Was he being manipulated? Was he being separated from his family that's been there forever? Now, this idea of him being manipulated actually will come up a few times. It is brought up in several articles and even two news clips that I found. The family never really states what is meant by manipulation or who they believe is doing the manipulation. However, it seems like they've been pretty consistent with this belief. When speaking on their last conversation with one another, his sister Mari states that he was terribly upset. He told his sister he was going to get some rest and call her when he woke up. However, she never received that call. Police believe that at some point in time, Nani got up, went for a drive, but we're not really sure what happened after this. When Johanna, Bebeto's wife, returned to the home, she said about $2,000 in cash was missing, passports, financial records, and credit cards. Now, about two weeks after his disappearance, Heriberto's vehicle was found at Mount Charleston, a mountain in the Clark County area. Inside of his car was a packed suitcase, a package of bottled waters with one bottle of water missing, and his medication. The trail his car was found at is a well-known trail for hikers and mountain climbers. Most of this area's trails actually start at about 6,000 feet in elevation. His SUV was found near the Trail Canyon Trailhead area. This trail is just under four miles long and described as being decently trafficked. More sources report that this trail may be for moderate to more seasoned hikers as it's a mostly uphill trek. Now, all of this is important to mention because Henry Bethel was not particularly in the best shape. Also, he wasn't a climber and he in fact had asthma. On the alltrails.com website, which is a website that details trails across the world, allowing users to share maps, tips, and rate the different trails. I noticed that many commenters on a post about the Trail Canyon Trail spoke of how you have to kind of be in shape to make this hike. Now, there was some people who said, no, you can be moderate, or I had a dad who did it, and he had no troubles, and he's not a hiker, and he's older, and so forth. But it seems to be half and half, and everybody seems to agree that it's a mostly uphill trek. Heriberto was not a hiker. He didn't even like mountains. His family says they don't even believe he's ever visited a mountain. His sister Marie states, for him to drive, allegedly drive, that vehicle to Mount Charleston, it makes no sense to us. He does not like to go to the mountains. We do not visit mountains. For him not to contact any family members, something is not right. He's not missing on his own free will. Now, his sister Rita is quoted as saying, Nani would never walk away, no matter how stressed he was, no matter what was going on. Now, a little over a year after his disappearance in August of 2011, hikers actually found a box full of Heriberto's personal belongings. This included the missing financial records, credit cards, and cash. However, one news clip seems to suggest that the amount of cash reported missing from the home was not the same amount of cash found. It is important to mention that this box was found at a 9,500 foot elevation level on Mount Charleston. Again, Heriberto was not a hiker, and this is a high elevation for your average healthy adult. But surely for an inexperienced hiker who had on the cast and had asthma. Now, it's also important to mention that this box that we're talking about, this was not the same trail that his car was found on. According to two posts that I found, 
it was actually found about three or four hours away from where they found his car. This box was found on the rugged Mummy Mountain. Now, Mummy Mountain Trail is about eight miles long. It's eh, somewhat moderately trafficked, and pretty much everywhere I look only recommends this for very experienced hikers. Now, going back to the alltrails.com website, on the Mummy Mountain page, very experienced users talked about how difficult this trail was. Many users talk about not being able to finish the whole trail because of exhaustion, because of safety reasons, and others just saying that it was so hard they simply did not want to finish. I only found Mummy Mountain Trail specifically mentioned in two places on the web. One was on a Facebook post from a missing person site, and another was on a Google Sites website, a third-party site that pretty much collected data about his case, and they copied the articles, the pictures, and so forth, and kept it there stored. Now, on that Google Sites page, it did link to a source, which was 8 News Now, which is a local news station. However, that article is no longer posted, and honestly, this isn't uncommon. Whenever I do a search for news articles on any case over five years old, I pretty much always come across broken links. Usually I can find one or two sites that are like this Google site that pretty much quotes articles, they give outdated links to so you can know where they found them. But again, usually these links are broken. And again, it's really not uncommon for a lot of news sites to delete pages after a certain amount of time as it's very costly to maintain every single article posted on a news site. I mean, most news sites post at least 30 stories at a minimum per day. And honestly, some news sites post on average 1,200 stories a day, like the Washington Post. So as you can imagine, trying to keep every article posted on a separate page gets very costly and to save on cost, a lot of news sites, especially the local ones, tend to cut the link off after a certain amount of time. Now, because this article was posted on two places, I want to lean on the side that this is a credible source. The article even goes on to quote Lieutenant Rob Linquist, and I feel like I pronounced his name wrong. Apologize, but I was able to actually verify this lieutenant. He indeed was a lieutenant at this time that was working in Las Vegas. And I just highly doubt anybody would go through the hassle of making up a fake article on a small local case and go through the whole act of creating broken leaks and etc. It's just really not that serious. Um, and then later, I kind of was able to confirm on one of his family's Facebook pages that they seem to mention that the box was found on a different trail that was a couple hours away. So I'm going to go ahead and use this source as I continue talking. However, I just want listeners to know that if you go to the blog, I cannot link it to the exact news source. I can only link it to the third party article. Now, with all that said, this makes sense to me why police have not came out and said that they believe this is a suicide. Let's just be honest. When we hear about a missing person and we throw in mental health, we throw in things like wife left, you know, we tend to jump to suicide. I mean, it makes sense. Police are asked if it's a possible suicide and they said, you know, you know, that is one of the possibilities. But usually in these type of cases, they kind of hear police kind of lead. To me, his items being found on another trail, a trail that's so far away, is good reason to not jump to the conclusion of suicide so quickly. Now let's get back to the trails. Mummy Mountain actually starts Trail Canyon Trail. So that puts us where his car was. It actually starts in that same area. However, where his items was found, police says about three to four hours away. 
Now this just seems like an incredibly long, unnecessary trek that even family and some police do not believe he could have made. When you look up Money Trail, you'll see it has a total elevation of 11,533 feet. His items was found at 9,500 feet. This would mean that an inexperienced hiker with asthma who was over the age of 40 with a cast on hiked at least three hours with a box in his hand. Again, one of them was in a cast on a trail that even experienced hikers describe as harsh terrain. Look, this just sounds really far-fetched to me. Even during a state of mania, I do not believe his body would allow for this. Now, it's quoted three times on a Reddit thread about this case that he just recently had gastric bypass, and this is a major surgery. It usually takes two to three months to recover from this. Now, I don't know where Reddit got this information. I did actually find it on a couple of Facebook pages about this case that really just reposted information, but none of those pages nor did Reddit actually lead me to the link where they got this info. But if this is true, it makes the theory of him walking up so far sound increasingly unlikely. Now, it appears his family does not believe he actually drove his car to the trail. No, they believe he took that box up the mountain. While usually families can be in a state of shock, in a state of denial, when something like this happens, if all information we have is true, their doubts are not the result of pure cognitive dissonance. Their doubts actually make sense to me. Now, police have done a search of this area a few times. They even did a search with a helicopter. There's even a group of experienced hikers and rock climbers that volunteered to search this area multiple times. But there really wasn't any real results from these searches. Unfortunately, from 2010 all the way to now, that is all the information we have on this case. That is all police have found or at least all police have revealed to the public. So let's investigate some things that are important to note and some theories that are floating around on the web. The first thing is the place where Harry Beto's car was found is a popular hiking trail, especially in the summer months, but no one has reported seeing him there. And this is odd for a few reasons. First is that locals came forward to report it actually seeing his car, and they reported that the car had been there for quite a while, but no one actually reports seeing him there. In many cases, what you actually see happen is that there are reported sightings from all over the place, and the sightings sometimes can be very contradicting, and it can kind of seem like a goose chase for police. Next, where his items were actually found, that was still considered a moderately populated area, even one Reddit commenter reported that during COVID, you can go on any one of these trails and still see hundreds of people walking. So I can imagine in 2010, before COVID, it was just as many, if not more. And while Harry Beto's story may not have been covered nationwide, it was covered in Las Vegas a few times and it was covered beyond just his initial disappearance. The story was covered during his initial disappearance then a couple weeks later when they found his car. And then a year later again when they found his personal items. And then his family's kept his name alive. They've done a couple news article clips. And even that Reddit thread, that thread is only a couple months old. So it's not like, okay, maybe people didn't report seeing him because the case is so small. It's a small case, but locally, 
it was a big enough that it's kind of odd that nobody came forth even with something that may not have led to anything at all. Another thing to note, mental illnesses do not often pop up at the age of 40 and beyond, at least not with any prior indications. Now, I'm not saying it's impossible. It can definitely happen. It has happened before. It's just very uncommon, especially a diagnosis such as schizoaffective disorder. These usually pop up before the age of 30. Matter of fact, that's how it's taught in schools that you're going to see this between the ages of 18 and 30. And then we have the fact that his family was surprised to hear this. They've never known him to have a mental health diagnosis. And here's the thing. Mental health diagnoses are a matter of opinion. And I'm not saying that in a disrespectful way. There's no such thing as blood work or x-rays or pop-up result that comes up as, yes, 100% schizophrenia. It just doesn't exist. Essentially what happens when you get a diagnosis is a licensed mental health clinician performs a psychological evaluation and they give their impression based on your answers in history. They give you a diagnosis which fits into the criteria of the DSM-5 diagnosis after ruling out all medical possibilities for any abnormalities or bizarre behaviors. I think the general theme here is that he was depressed and there were some psychotic features in general. Now, so let's look at what these diagnoses actually means. Depression with psychotic features is basically having depression, but also having hallucinations and delusions. There's two types, depression with mood congruent psychotic features, which is delusions or hallucinations around personal inadequacy, guilt, disease, death, or punishment. Then there's depression with mood incongruent psychotic features, which is depression with hallucination and delusions, but it's not based around inadequacy and punishment. Next, we have the diagnosis of schizoaffective disorder. And this, again, is also based around hallucinations and delusions, but there usually comes with some disorganized thinking. Now, I'm mentioning this because we know he had a period of psychosis right before he disappeared. And I think of knowing what that psychosis could look like kind of helps us out. So now we know there was possibly some hallucination going on. There's possibly some delusion going on. There was possibly some disorganized thinking going on. And though families say they did not know him to have a mental health diagnosis, this is completely new information to them, nor did he present with any psychotic features the last time they talked to him, it's important to remember that when it comes to mental health diagnosis, symptoms are not always active. Psychosis happens in what we call episodes, and schizoaffective disorder an episode has to last at least two weeks. But it does not last the whole entire time they're living, it does not last the whole entire year, it literally only has to last two weeks. So there's a chance that his family or friends just did not see him while he was in a state of psychosis. Now his family does admit that he was distant and not himself for a couple weeks before he went missing. And if he was in the middle of an episode, that could possibly explain this because, you know, you do have kind of the paranoid thought. With that said, however, his wife saw him that day and she was actually escorted by police. Police were there, they saw him, and no one seems to note that it seems like he was in the middle of an episode that moment. But again, it could have been he was not actively in psychosis, or it could have been a matter of he really just didn't say anything. And I want to bring this up again because family states several times they believe he's being manipulated because he was acting different. Now, again, this could be part of the psychosis. I mean, we're talking about possible disorganized thoughts. We're talking about possible delusions. The person does not always seem like themselves. And often this is unsettling for family to see and accept, especially if 
they've never seen their loved one behave this way. And it tends to be even harder the later in life their first episode occurs. Because for many people, it's hard to believe that this is my loved one. I've known them since we were yay high and they're now 40 and they've never acted like this. There's never even been a hint of anything that suggests this. It's kind of hard to just accept that, yeah, no, this could have been something underlying that was just recently triggered. Now, on Reddit, some commenters brought up some particularly good points. He was the primary caretaker of two infants who were born prematurely. That can be a lot of stress. I mean, that can be a lot of sleep deprivation as well, which one user brought up. And I thought that was very valid. As again, a event can trigger an underlying diagnosis that may not have presented itself before. Also, for all we know, he may have struggled with his mental health in the past, but was able to hide it pretty well for family and friends. And again, this new stress could have just exasperated it. This is not unheard of. With certain symptoms, if it doesn't get to a certain level of uneasiness for others, a lot of times people brush it off. People say, eh, they're having a bad day, or eh, they've always been a little eccentric, or, you know, that's just them. They're a little bit dramatic sometimes, and that's just how they behave. And let me give you an example of how it can be very easy to miss something like that. How many of us have friends or family members that are into some type of conspiracy theory? Now, they don't have a mental illness. They have never presented themselves as having a mental illness. But maybe they have a strong belief in something being society just kind of dismiss as invalid. Having a friend leave in something like the government is spying on us. There's this whole big brother thing, eye in the sky theory. And someone you love might say something like that and it really doesn't seem like a huge concern. It's just one of those things that, you know, people believe or they don't believe or people believe and they're just like, eh, that's how the world works. And they really aren't too concerned. Most of the time when most of us hear something like this from a loved one or a friend, we kind of shrug it off and go, eh, I mean, that's your thought. And move along but what if that belief is more what if yes they believe big brother eye in the sky watching our every move they believe they're out to get us and not just uh, the government trying to control its citizens the government is watching everything we're doing and vacuuming us now what if it goes beyond that sometimes people will bring up something like this in casual conversation and again it's just one of those conversations you had where you're like yeah i mean they state their opinions you state yours and that's that but what if you don't know that after those conversations they go home they unplug all their electrical devices because they believe they're being bugged and secretly recorded by these devices and even something such as that you might find out and think is no big deal I mean, Instagram made the news last year because it was reported that Instagram was recording us when we thought our cameras were off when scrolling through the site. So someone breaking up something like that or you witnessing something like that might not really be that suspect to you. But what if it goes beyond that? What if you have no clue that when they get home by themselves, they sit in the middle of the floor, quiet for hours, staring at the walls, 
They believe they're hearing coded messages in the air. They're interpreting them as tapping into Big Brother's ribbon. Secret frequencies that float through the air that the average citizen doesn't notice or suspect, but they're able to see it. They're able to decode it. How would you know that if you did not see it firsthand? Look, my only point is people can have symptoms and they can go unnoticed for quite a while, even to very close family and friends, even sometimes with people they live with. I say all this to say in regards to Heriberto, we don't really know what state he may have been in. Wife said that it seemed he was getting more and more erratic. Family said they had never even seen this. We have no idea, honestly, what his mental health was like at the time that he disappeared. Next, one of the biggest theories that gets thrown around is that he went up to the mountains and he got lost. Again, this is something that happens. It's not uncommon whatsoever. If you go on Google right now and type in missing person, lost, national forest, park, mountain, you're going to find tons and tons of names. Now, the issue with throwing this theory around in this particular case is that, again, his stuff was found pretty high up on a very complicated and harsh trail. He was not an experienced hiker. And also, this trail isn't isolated. No one noticed someone seemingly heading off the trail path. This is not a trail where you only see one or two other people. It's a pretty populated area. Even just him walking from his car where the first trail was to where the second trail was, it just seems odd no one would have saw him. It just seems odd that he wouldn't have gotten tired before even reaching the end of the trail. Even with me saying all that, it's still a possibility. I mean, again, it happens all the time. I'm personally skeptical on this because it just seems like it would not be something he would be able to do no matter where he was mentally. Now, as talked about earlier, suicide is also one of the theories that's thrown around. And again, it's a possibility. He had recently been diagnosed with a mental health disorder. He was said to be depressed even before that diagnosis and depressed the last time anyone talked to him. He had just lost his family and according to his sisters, family means everything to him. We're also told that the last conversation he had with his wife was him telling her that he loved her and he loved their sons. This typically would sound like something someone who was suicidal would do. And though a lot of times people near and dear to the person missing or the person who may or may not commit suicide, a lot of times people don't want to believe that their loved one would do that. People don't want to believe that their loved one would do it without leaving a note, without thinking about how this event could affect them. But here's the thing, when people are suicidal, often all they can think about is the pain they're experiencing and how they can relieve that pain. Being in a state of extreme mental anguish is very difficult. To add something like losing your family on top of it, look, that's enough to cloud anybody's judgment. The truth of the matter is, if he did go up that mountain, if he did go up that trail and he did commit suicide, there's a pretty big chance that his body would not be found. Remains are awfully hard to find in these type of areas. And then on top of that, you have things like wildlife that could kind of creep in pretty close to the time the person expires. So there might not be a lot that could be found. Next, we have the possibility of foul play. Now, with most of these cases, yeah, there's always a possibility of foul play. Ivan just don't buy that he was able to make it up that harsh trail with his belongings in a box 
with the cast on never hiking but the possibility of this happening post a recent surgery i i just did not buy that it doesn't seem like he had any enemies it seems like most of his time was in around his family so let's look at Heriberto's wife. Heriberto's wife is actually a highly successful woman. She actually has a very powerful position at a well-known bank. And it actually seems like she's really well-known in her field. I actually came across multiple articles about her and multiple known business journals. So to me, that kind of takes away the financial motive. It seems that she may have been the breadwinner. Also, we can't dismiss the fact that she actually left their home I mean, he was the one who filed a missing person report on her the day he went missing. She went back to the home with police escorts and then walked away with police escort. This seems to indicate someone who is fearful. Now, whether her fear was based in truth or not, that's not the facts that we do know is that she had to be escorted by police. She left, police saw her leave, and the last anyone knows, the police saw him at his house by himself. There are several other reasons individuals cover. There's really not anything pointing to the wife. One can argue though that so much focus was given to his mental health that no avenues seem to really have been explored, at least not publicly. The only odd thing I can find related to the wife is that one, the family mentions again, the suspicions of manipulation and they never say by who or how, but it's said very often that he was isolated away from his family and they believe he was being manipulated and let's be honest if this was a case of a missing woman and a family said that everyone would assume the husband and one more odd thing i found in relation to his spouse is it was mentioned on this third party site that his wife had petitioned for a death certificate of hergiberto only one and a half year after his disappearance his family did not want this to happen. They did not want the death certificate issued. They still had hope and it seems they felt this was a bit rushed. Also, it wasn't an article. It seemed to be quoted from some type of blog post or a comment. And so I was really skeptical about if I wanted to put this in, but it kept nagging at me. So I spent hours doing a death certificate search. Unfortunately in Nevada, you kind of, you have to pay to get one of, you have to pay to find someone's death certificate it's not really easy to find on the web but i spent hours trying to do it now the national average is about seven years and this is really set by the, the social security department that's what their number is for they will allow you to be granted social security benefits in I couldn't really find a specific number on Nevada, but I looked around the web and I found Georgia being quoted as having a particularly low waiting period of being just four years when it was very odd and it was only one or two states that low. So I think it's pretty safe to assume that in Nevada, the typical period is at least four years, but also possibly up to seven years or more. So filing a petition for his death after a year and a half is kind of one of those things you kind of side eye. I mean, there doesn't seem to be a financial need, so it's not like I'm rushing because I am struggling, I'm a homemaker, I need the support. And also we have that his family did not want this. So it's still going against the wishes of his family so soon after his disappearance. And not only that, his family says that they actually had not seen his kids since he's been missing. That was a year and a half. 
and Heriberto, he was really close with his family. So it's kind of odd that his wife did not seem to use his family as a source of support, whether it be emotional or let them see his children. I actually came across his family's well-kept up Facebook page. I went through things posted last year's. I went through all the posts of 2010 when he initially disappeared, but I didn't really search through all the pages in between at first. After I came across the information about the death certificate, I decided to go through all the pages. First, I started with a post in 2012, and sure enough, I found the same exact information that was on that third-party site on his family's Facebook page. So it appears this was all true. The wife did try to file a death certificate a year and a half after her husband's disappearance. The family did not see the kids during that one and a half period, and the family was against her filing for a death certificate. All this is verified on their Facebook. Now, again, all of this is all speculation, and it's not really hard-hitting information. It's more just like, huh, that's odd. But one can argue that Maybe the wife just wanted to get the death certificate so she can move on. So this can be a part of her life that she does not have to dwell on. And whether you agree with that or not, it's a valid point. Now, the family seems to be on good terms with the wife now. There's actually a picture of his kids and they're absolutely adorable posted from this year where his wife is tagged in a picture and his family praises her for the amazing job she's done with the kids so even though it seems they might have had their little issues around that first two years he disappeared whatever those issues were it seems like they resolved and it seems like they have no issues with the mom and one of the biggest factors is she's never been named a suspect it does not seem like it was ever even hinted at her so let's move on to foul play by a stranger now there's always a chance of this in any missing persons case we have no clue to what has happened to Heriberto after the police left his home. We know his car was found at Mount Charleston a few weeks after his disappearance, and we know his documents was found a year later in a completely different part, about three to four hours away from where his car was located. There's a chance that he never went up that hill. I mean, family surely doesn't think so. There's a couple articles where police don't seem to think so. Okay, so maybe he didn't go up that trail. Is there a possibility that he also didn't drive his SUV there? The truth is, possibly. There doesn't seem like the police found any fingerprints on the car of other people or anything like that, but we don't even know if they even dust for fingerprints. And the reason I bring this up is because, again, a lot of his articles seem to center on around the fact that he had a mental health diagnosis. A lot of articles seem to really point home that he had a psychotic break and when this happens sometimes all the things that would normally happen in a case like dusting for fingerprints checking into the spouse looking at finances going through their background to see if they had any enemies things like that are kind of not done or not done in a timely fashion it very well could be they did and they found nothing but it's not mentioned either way which leaves us in the same predicament of we don't know None of the clues that we actually have really match up. His car being found three hours away from where all his documents were found. Him having a cast on, but him carrying his box of records. Him having luggage packed and ready in his car, but not seeming to take it with him wherever he went. None of that matches up at all. All of those seem like they kind of lead to different theories. I mean, luggage in the car, packed and ready. For a lot of us, that would make us think, okay, so he wanted to get away. Maybe he wanted to clear his head for a couple of days. 
but he left the luggage. So did he change his mind? Was this just supposed to be a stop or a detour? Okay, so his car was found at this mountain that no one had even known him to go to. He didn't like mountains. He didn't like climbing or was a big fan of any of that. And the items that his wife said were missing were found on another trail three to four hours away. That does not make sense. Again, he wasn't a hiker. He wasn't an avid climber. Also, he had on a cast. It just doesn't make sense to me that he would go up this very difficult trail with a big box and a cast on and then make it more than two thirds of the way up this very high path. So foul play, yeah, that is definitely a possibility. We just don't know how or who could possibly be involved if foul play is a thing in this case. Now, one of the things we do know is that $2,000 in cash was missing when his wife went back to the home. This is one of those things that eh, you don't really want to hear when there's a possibility of foul play. Having $2,000 of cash on you makes you a target if anybody finds out. He had $2,000 in cash on him and there's a chance that he may have been driving around, walking around in an impaired state. And not only is it likely he had that $2,000 on him, uh, when you go to the family's website, because they also have a blog page, there's pictures of him with the jewelry that he had on, and it's a gold chain, gold wristlet, and then it's his gold wedding ring. And the gold is very noticeable. This again would also, might also make him a target. Unfortunately, we just don't have the evidence to fully back that. Now, lastly, the theory is that, of course, he had a psychotic break and simply walked away. And this is something, again, it's a reasonable guess. His sisters confirmed that he was isolating himself from his family. His wife states he had to be hospitalized and his behavior was getting more and more erratic. And in his car was found luggage. It's a possibility that, you know, he did walk away. Maybe he got in his car as what planned to leave. And maybe it was only to leave for a couple of days, but maybe he changed his mind, got out the car, decided that he was going to walk it. He was going to walk it in a different direction. Or heck, he might even have stopped at a gas station, left his car running, and then simply just said, you know what, I'm going to hike it the rest of the way. And while that seems odd to us, if he did have a psychotic break, that could totally make sense to him. And for all we know, somebody saw a running car. And I don't know about you guys, but I live in Atlanta. <laughs> you, you leave your car running, you're getting your car stolen. But that wouldn't explain how his car got to the mountain and why the person left the car there and then took all his items up to the near top of the mountain to dispose of it. That's a missing link. With all of these suspicions and theories, there's a missing link. There's a certain part of the theory that makes sense and then there's this whole huge gaping hole in the theory that you can't really ignore. And I found that to be that way in every single theory I've come across with this case. But in regards to him having a psychotic break and simply walking away, it's not unheard of. Last month, I did an episode on people who disappeared and was found years later. During that episode, I covered the case of Monica Jenkins, and she actually went missing in Nevada as well. What we ended up finding out is that she had a psychotic break possibly a stroke and 
then her family couldn't find her for seven years. Come to find out, she could not remember who she was and had been living in a group home of sorts under the care of the state guardian office before she was found. She was in the very city that she went missing from for seven years. So walking away, yeah, there's always a chance of that. But like all the other theories, it's just portions of that theory that also does not make sense. As of right now, there are no new updates on his case. Not on official news sites, not on social media sites, not if you search the hashtags, not if you do a deep dive on YouTube. There's been no further development. Nani Herrera remains missing and his family remains searching. If you have any information on this matter, no matter how small, no matter how small or unimportant it may seem, anyways, Give that number a call, 702-828-2907. And of course, I'll have all the links that you can check out in my blog post. Again, stay safe, stay vigilant, and I will see you guys next Sunday. JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney, make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusion supply. See store or jcp.com for details. Yeah.